You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. Hi, welcome to this Future Net Zero podcast. I'm Sue Buzz, and today we're talking networks with Farina Farrier from Open Networks. Uh, Farina, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure for me to be here um, on your podcast today. No, it's great to, to have you here. Um, explain what Open Networks is, first of all, to our audience. So Open Networks, basically, it's it's one of the strategic initiatives that the Energy Networks Association is leading on behalf of its electricity members. And essentially, like what it's looking at is how the networks need to change the way they operate today to become that smart and flexible um, network of the future, one that is, you know, capable of delivering net zero. So in a nutshell, that's that's kind of really what Open Networks is all about. And as you can imagine, you know, it, it is like, you know, I guess, the networks traditionally have been, you know, I guess more, um, you know, passive one-way power systems. And, you know, yeah. in this new world where we are looking at net zero, we're going to see like, you know, we're going to see a lot of decentralization and, you know, we, we need to kind of uh, start ramping up EVs, heat pumps. So with all of that in mind, there is like basically a need for the networks to become smart and flexible in the way they operate. So that's um, what Open Networks is basically looking at. Is it about a better co- collaboration? Because obviously the thing is the way the electricity system was set up, you know, way before it was all localized and you had a local network and then obviously the big national grid. And we've kind of kept that model for more than a hundred years. Um, with that meant that obviously if you're in the Southeast, you have a certain local network. If you're in Scotland, you have another one. And I guess the thing is that the networks didn't really need to do much talking did they because I suppose they were just dealing with their own local areas and their own local needs that's exactly right and I guess the the way the system was designed it was designed for those large generators you know sitting at higher voltage levels and then kind of transmitting the energy down through the network but you know as as we are seeing like you know new technologies and with a number of low carbon technologies such as EVs heat pumps solar panels starting to kind of pick up so I mean there is basically that that old system no longer works you know there's there's almost you know two-way energy flows that you know are happening on the network and and the need to basically manage that what's been going on because this i think this is your fifth year of this open networks program what 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 would you say very briefly has been achieved in these five years so it's definitely been quite an interesting journey and um, i've been lucky enough to be part of it from the start so when we first started open networks at that point, it was more about kind of starting to actually define the problem, looking at, you know, one of the first things that we did as part of our work was to actually define what we mean by distribution system operation. Now, that's that's a word that, you know, people might have come across in the industry, often referred to as DSO. So it is essentially what refers to that transition to that smart grid. So our starting point really was, you know, defining what we mean by that and and setting out what we think are the core functions that would be needed to deliver that. And then thinking about that five years ago. So from that point onwards, Mm. we've basically done a lot of work to build on that, to look at basically where are we today with respect to those functions? What do we need to do to get there? And I think what we have seen is, is there is quite a lot for the networks to do, get to that stage where they become smart and flexible. And, you know, it does need to happen really quickly. And, you know, as we've recently seen, you know, the government's committed to decarbonizing the energy system by 2035. So, so all of that now needs to happen in a much shorter time scale as well. So, yeah, I guess just kind of 
reflecting back on that journey. So I think that was really our starting point. And over the five last five years, where we've kind of reached to now, like, you know, we've got a clear view of, you know, the things that, you know, we need to do for the networks to become more active. And a very large part of that is flexibility. Now, the term flexibility in itself is quite broad. So the networks, I guess, at a national level, we've always had flexibility with, you know, the um, national grid ESO as our system operator procuring services for balancing. But I, I guess one of the newer things that, you know, is starting to like emerge and it is quite well established now as well. It's really those local markets for flexibility. Now, these didn't exist, you know, five or 10 years ago. And um, a lot of what we do in open networks today is very much about helping to get these markets off the ground and, and kind of get more liquidity in them. One of the things, I mean, I want to talk about flexibility in a second, but I just want to clarify because this is, this is people have heard this, right? So the business audience that's listening to this and even members of the public may have heard the, the term of DSO. What, what exactly is it? Because the, the way the grid was set up, for those who don't know, was, as you said, you know, big power stations sending the energy down. And then, you know, from the national grid, the, the high voltage converting down a little bit, step down to the local district operations. So the district networks, people will know the names of these companies. They basically provided us, and to this day, provide us with connections. But what will the, the change from a, a DNO to a distribution system operator, DSO, what does that actually mean? What does that mean for the businesses who are in these areas? So traditionally, like, as, as you said, um, some, so the DNOs, you know, they've, they've been asset owners. So, you know, they essentially have owned the wires that bring the energy into our homes. And, and with that one-way power system that we spoke about earlier, their responsibilities would be around maintaining that network. But now that, you know, we actually need to, you know, we've got the network where, you know, we've, we're almost looking at two-way power flows where, you know, basically you might have somebody who's got solar panels um, you know, on their roof and, you know, they might be looking to actually put energy into the network. So I think in, in terms of the network itself, like the networks need to basically pretty much operate the system in a more active way. So so essentially, I think that's kind of like the differentiator between a DNO and a DSO. So a DSO essentially requires more active system operation, one that, you know, is capable of dealing with like decentralized resources and, and you know, it, and DSO essentially, like it's it's also a more efficient way of actually, you know, running the network. And and with, with net zero, you know, we, we basically need to kind of become more active. But at the same time, we also want it to be done in an efficient way as well. So it I is the most efficient way for us. Yes, to yes, yeah. And I suppose the thing is, though, you know, for for us uh, as consumers, the, the I mean, I hate it, but there's that word prosumer. You know, stick a solar panel on your on your roof or you know, have a wind turbine in, in your, uh, on your factory or in, in, in the land that you own as a company and you suddenly are producing energy as well as consuming it. So, but will, will the change mean that the, the DNO has to have a level of control now, the, the balancing you're talking about? And I suppose if that happens, then that's no longer the responsibility of National Grid in the future. Is that, is that the basic idea that it starts to become much more regionally controlled in your in your network area that's that's absolutely right yeah so so that that essentially means that the networks would have more control in terms of how they go about dealing with constraints you know in particular areas where 
let's say where capacity might be limited. So these flexibility services would essentially help the, the DNOs to perhaps procure a service where somebody you know, might be willing to turn down their demand to help deal with um, you know, peak demand at a particular time. So, so it, is, it is very much about, you know, I guess, being able to control and, and turn down. But of course, you know, it, it would be with those who have contracted to provide that service. Flexibility. We are entering a time, we've seen it now with the grass price stuff that's going on recently. You know, we are in a situation where the system will have to flex, okay? And there's a lot of criticism that we haven't got enough on, on the system right now, that we haven't built enough kind of standing power when we cut, shut down all the coal plants, et cetera, et cetera. But putting that aside, you, your members of the ENA, you know, our networks are going to have to become much more flexible. And just this week, there was a, uh, I think it was a couple of days ago, there was a story we ran about how much money would be needed to, you know, take an average house and stick in a, a heat pump, for example, sort of 15,000 pounds. So these, these outlays are huge. What are the challenges facing around getting this flexibility out there? Yeah, there's definitely quite a few challenges, you know, in, in terms of helping to get these flexibility markets in place in a way where, you know, they are able to deliver the benefits that we're basically looking to seek through them. So I think to start with, like with local flexibility markets, something that we've seen in previous years. So when we put out flexibility to the market, so like last year, for example, all of the DNOs put around three gigawatts of flexibility services and that was available for tender. And, you know, we only got about like only half of it got contracted. So mm. um, those figures might change, but there is more to do to help kind of get more liquidity in these markets. So it's just by the very nature of these markets, because these are local markets, you know. So if there is a particular need for a service, it, it's almost like it has to kind of come from a street level. So it does have that locational nature. But, you know, I do think that at the moment, the services we've been getting, like they do tend to be, I guess, from larger assets. but to actually get that liquidity and to, to kind of actually get these markets like fully working in the interest of everyone, it, we would basically need to kind of start to incorporate smaller assets and even residential flexibility. That is the thing that is going to be sort of, <laughs> it's a funny thing, isn't it? There's part of this is basically you have to build the stuff that allows this, but there's also the other element, which is human behavior of wanting to do it. And I know that one of your member companies is trying to debate how much EV, example, will, will come into their area. This is very tricky in this new period that we, we call, you know, ED2, the second phase for which starts in 2023 for five years. Ofgem, the government, all of you will be looking at trying to guess in a way what we need to do. So how do we do that? Because flexibility has got to be important, but you've got to invest in this. So what are your members doing about having to, having to guess, for example, will we go electric heat or will we have hydrogen? Will we have a mass take up of EVs or, or we have um, people using, I don't know, other techni technologies, maybe, maybe, you know, hydrogen for fleet. So what are you doing around that? What are your members and what sort of work is being done to kind of, I suppose, predict what we might want because your networks will have to provide it yeah absolutely and i think you know these are all very important considerations and as you've said we almost have to make those decisions now to enable you know the networks to be there to help connect you know evs heat pumps or whatever other technologies that might be taken up in a particular area so 
the networks do a lot of forecasting and a lot of planning, not just in shorter time scales, but in longer time scales as well. So I think you may have um, come across some national grid future energy scenarios. So that scenario planning yeah. and forecasting yeah. is a key function that all of the networks undertake. They do it at a local level as well. So pretty much they look forward 40 years ahead. And as part of that, you know, the networks work very closely with local stakeholders, you know, people like local authorities to understand what their development plans they might have. And, you know, there are a number of assumptions that are made and, and those assumptions are tested with the industry to help kind of come up with a forecast as best as possible. You know, in terms of, you mentioned the price control period as well as that's going to be starting in March this year. And as part of that, you know, the networks, they will be putting forward what we call like strategic investment. So, so basically investment ahead of, you know, I guess where that need, need has actually come up. So that's going to be quite important in making sure that the networks are, are ready, you know, to help connect the LCTs that will be needed. You'll need to collaborate, won't you, obviously. And I know that you're all, all of your members are doing things like improving stakeholder engagement. Why will this be more important now? Because I suppose, in a way, you, you've got to listen, but also lead. Absolutely. Yeah. I think collaboration is going to be really fundamental now, because when we think about net zero, it cuts across a lot of industries. It's not just energy, you know. It involves a lot of other sectors, including, you know, transport as well. So there is really a need for for that collaboration to make sure that, you know, these decisions are actually made holistically because decisions in one area will impact the other. So we really need to put this transition and go through it together. So in, in terms of, you know, open networks as well. So I think collaboration is, you know, one of our areas of highest priority this year. And as, as part of that, we've revised our governance approach as well. And, you know, we're basically setting out new ways in which stakeholders can actually, when I say stakeholders, I mean, I guess other industry participants can come and work alongside us in helping us, you know, kind of deliver this transition that we need to a smart grid. How are we going to get to net zero? <laughs> I mean, no, look, I mean, there's a bit of a frivolous question, but, you know, the government's put out the 10-point plan. We've had the energy white paper. We've had all these things last year about commitments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But fundamentally, we are going to change everything we've had, as I said, for about 120 years. The, the, the networks were built to go one way. They now need to be dual, take energy, give energy, et cetera. They need to trade, like you said. They need to be able to balance. They need to move and know that as it connects with smart systems, it can do all of this. How much of a challenge is this for, for your member companies? I think it is a challenge, but I think we are quite lucky because I think in many ways, a lot of these things we are talking about, they've been in place for a while. So if you think about local flexibility markets, you know, we're not just starting out as, as they may be the case in some countries. So, you know, we've already made really good progress. So we've almost got a really good starting point. So, you know, we are in a strong position to be able to enable like decarbonization of the energy system by 2035. All of the DNOs are now procuring flexibility services. And as I mentioned before, as of last year, we had three gigawatts of that. And, and in the years to come, that's only set to rise. And I mean, Open Networks is helping to play a key role as part of that. So I think I, you know, I strongly believe that through the work that we are doing and what we've got planned for this year, we will help address some of these barriers that we still face in these flexibility markets and can actually help to 
really get more liquidity in these markets but also you know looking on the connection side of things we do quite a lot of work in looking at how we can make it easier for assets to connect think particularly low carbon technology so yeah through the work that we do like you know i, I do think we can actually help meet, meet the targets that we've set for ourselves how much are you going to inform us the consumers the public because uh, you know as you said earlier you you do need to have that ability to communicate what are you doing about reaching out to will we see much more because generally the you know people know about energy companies that supply they don't really know about the networks right the public generally don't but they're going to know much more because you'll be responsible for much more that that matters to me as a consumer so what are you doing uh, as an organization about communicating better with the public with the consumer with the business consumer there's a, there's quite a few things so i think across our member companies so a lot of them you know work quite closely with local stakeholders you know just to i guess raise raise awareness of the types of a like you know their role b the types of like technologies that you know those people might have access to so there's a lot that the, the that the networks individually do as uh, as part of that as part of that making the customers aware of the changes that are needed but also at ena we've got you know we've got a number of other uh, working groups and teams that specifically look at you know customer engagement so as an example like you know we've got a forum that we run that specific uh, that specifically for working more closely with vulnerable consumers so you know making sure that they're not really being left behind as part of the transition that's you <laughs> preempted my next question which is that is the real danger isn't it i mean yeah i i've got an ev and i've got an internet and i've done that but i did a story about when my internet failed and i couldn't charge my ev but there are people who and, I, and I'm lucky I've moved and I've got a house now, but before when I lived in a flat in, in much more central London, there was no chance. If you're living uh, under fuel poverty, far less chance that you can do any of these things that help you get towards net zero. You certainly won't be able to afford a heat pump. What will you do, your members, what will they do to try and help this? Because you've nailed it. There could well be a divide where people benefit very well from this new flexible system and other people uh, are either missing out or, or adversely affected by it yeah and no, absolutely I, I think you know as part of this transition like we need to take everyone with us as part of that journey we certainly most certainly can't be leaving people behind so i think specifically with like all of the networks you know they they engage with vulnerable consumers you know they they've got mechanisms in place to provide support but however i mean thinking about net zero I think there will be a role for the government as well in helping perhaps through grants or other things, you know, making these technologies more affordable for people. I think particularly those that, you know, might not have the means to be buying these things. I think recently, like we saw that the government um, was talking about making a grant available for heat pumps as well. So I think it was up to £5,000 per household, I believe. So so I think we'll basically need more of that if, if we want people to be taking up these technologies and and coming part of the system i think on our side like there's definitely that awareness piece as well helping people understand how their energy use how that impacts the networks and things that they can be doing to help manage the system better overall and and help you know how they can lower their own costs as well through through i guess smarter energy consumption my last question you've had five years you've looked at this where are we going to be in five years what do you think we're going to be uh looking at because everyone has said that the heavy lifting for net zero has to be done in this next decade so you know a lot of legislation has been put out last year but now we've got to start doing it and the next five years if you're looking at 
you know, by 20, 2027, something like that. Are we going to have a very different network? I think definitely we, a lot of progress would have been made. So already, like as part of, you know, the business plans that all of the networks have submitted, you know, they've, they've set out, you know, their ambitions for the next few years. And as part of that, they will be getting their networks ready to help with the mass rollout of EVs, to help with decarbonization of heat as well. I think in the next few years, we'll, we'll see a bit more clarity from government on perhaps hydrogen as well. So I do think that, you know, within like, you know, the 2020s, we are going to see like a massive amount of progress being made towards that. A net zero world beckons, I think. You know, I know that, you know, the, the networks are doing a, a really good job because I know that they're working very hard. My final question to you is, you know, what do you hope that the networks will do? Because I suppose the main thing is that you don't inhibit us as a society, isn't it? That's the real thing, that you are facilitators rather than blockers. Absolutely. So I think, you know, the networks, you know, have a key role, like in helping to make sure that the networks are able to um, accommodate renewables and low carbon technologies that are needed to help meet net zero. Through the work that we're doing in open networks, we're basically like, you know, helping to make that whole connections process easier, helping to provide more data to people help them better understand where where are the places that they can connect i guess cheapest and most easily i think also like you know there's a key role for us in in working i guess across like vectors as well so in in open networks you know we do work quite closely with the gas networks as well because we do think that you know in meeting net zero like it needs to be a whole system approach like it, it wouldn't be like one energy vector providing all the solutions so i think yeah that's that's very much you know the focus focus of what we do in open networks and, and I guess how we are kind of tackling net zero. Brilliant. Um, if people want to communicate with you and talk about what they have and the challenges, because I know that you're, you're very big on advocacy, um, they can, how can they get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. Like we strongly encourage people to come and talk to us and share, share like, you know, the experiences and, you know, where there are barriers, like we're always happy to work with people to, to help, you know, address them. So there's several ways in which, you know, people can engage with open networks and also contact us. I think the easiest way perhaps is to visit our website. You know, you can drop us an email or, you know, from time to time we run consultations, you know. So um, is that is that open networks? What's the what's the web address for that? www.energynetworks.org. And just go from that and, and you can find it from there. That's exactly right. Yes. Brilliant. Uh, Farina, I, I'm, I'm confident that things will will be a lot better in about five years time. So thank you very much for uh, helping us out today. I think it's been fascinating, particularly the work that's been done. And, and as you said, you know, the, the whole point is we've got to make sure that we take everyone with us. So uh, thank you for joining us today on Future Net Zero. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.